listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. Everything God does is based on His covenant. This message is from part two of our series, Our Covenant God, where we are learning about the immensity and supremacy of God and His covenant with us. And now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Our reading today is from 2 Samuel chapter 9. I'm going to ask that you just remain standing for our, for our scripture this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1 says this, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Turn to your neighbor and say kindness. Like that. Verse 2, Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. Good name. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? Basically out of a reaction that anyone will be named Ziba. Are you Ziba? And he said, Yes, I am your servant. And the king said, is there, not, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Verse 5, then King David sent, sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that we are able to gather in your presence. We thank you all for all the things that you're doing in our church. We thank you for scripture. Lord, we thank you that it speaks to our hearts, that it, that it cuts to the very, uh, the very center of who we are, Lord. It's living, it's true, it's real, it's relevant for us today. I pray that you would speak to us today through your word as we learn about this man, Mephibosheth, and as we talk about the fact that you are our covenant-keeping God. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And we all said? Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. All right, so we are in week two, our final week, actually, of this uh, series that we've entitled Our Covenant God. I'm pretty excited about it. It's been good stuff so far. Last week was awesome. And I wanted to say this just at the onset of our, our worship experience today. Last week, last week we saw over 10 people make first-time decisions to accept Jesus Christ. Yeah. We celebrate that, we love it, and uh, man, that's why we're here. If you don't know, we exist to seek and save the lost. We feel like this is, this is what we were placed on this earth to do. A lot of great churches doing a lot of great things. Uh, we're just trying to keep it simple and see people come to know Jesus, learn about Jesus, and then lead their friends to Jesus. Pretty good goal if you ask me. So today we're in this, uh, the second series, and we're going to be talking about this guy named Mephibosheth, but I want to share with you... Uh, just a story, if I could, to start out our time today. In fact, I want to take you back in time. Are you willing to go back in time with me today? Are you willing? Some of you are ready and willing, right? You're like, yes, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to get out of this time right now. Well, I want to take you back to a day and a time where hammer pants were cool. Yeah, now, now, you're, now you're like, yeah, you're preaching now, right? Yeah. I want to take you back in time to a day where, where it was common for, for the children to be wearing slap bracelets, right? Slap bracelets? Where new kids on the block, Bill Biv DeVoe, Wilson Phillips dominated the charts of the day. But in my house, Bill and Gloria Gaither 
the Florida boys, Clay Cross and Forham were the heat seekers, right? Yeah. Um, where every Friday night, the most important thing happening was not the local high school game, was not the fact that the weekend had begun. It was the fact that we were going to get to share collectively as a nation and have a, have a look inside the life of a man named Balki Baltakamos. Urkel. The Winslows, right? Danny Tanner and Uncle Jesse. Yes, TGIF, right? Some of you are like, what? What year is this? Like 1812? What are you talking about? No, the year is 1990. I was nine and in fourth grade, and I had a bully. Now, yeah, right? Now, here's the thing about a bully. They stink. I don't know if you know that or not. Having a bully is not fun. Uh, now, I went to a Christian school, so this is like a different type of bully. He's a Christian uh, school kid bully, right? Which is just wrong on a whole, like, number of reasons, right? A whole number of reasons. And anyway, so we would go outside and play football um, for recess. And uh, it wasn't a very large school, but it was a school nonetheless. And we'd go outside and we would play football. And, and, and every day, this, this kid, this bully, would bite me. He would, he would bite me. I mean, we'd be playing football, and, and, and we, you know, two-hand touch, and he would go in for the touch, and then he would bite my ankle almost every single day. I told on him, nothing happened. I went home and, and told my mom every day, like, Mom, this guy keeps biting me. She's like, what are you talking? You're nine years old. Tell him to stop. Doesn't he know he shouldn't be biting other children? Maybe I should talk to his mom. And I'm just like, forget it. Forget it. I don't want you calling anybody and talking to anybody's mom. I'll just handle it myself, right? So this went on for months. Every day I was being bitten by some child at school. <laughs> My bully story. Until one day, until one day, true story, until one day I went home and we were eating dinner and I just had had enough and I said, I got bit again today. And my dad looked at me and said, enough, Travis. So he said, and I thought I was in trouble. And he said, enough. We're going to take care of this. And I was like, oh, what are we going to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> so after dinner, he pulled me over aside and he said, listen, I'm going to tell you how to take care of a bully. Now, pause real quick. I just want to censor this information or just give like a, a precursor right here. Like, I'm not uh, endorsing violence, okay? So if you have a bully, do not do what I did, unless you want to take care of the bully. And I'm just, just putting that out there, okay? So my father's advice, he said to me, he goes, Travis, you're kind of a big boy. And I was like, yeah, you're really, this is like going well. Thank you for. And he said, next time that said bully comes in to bite your ankle, this is what I want you to do. Let him in. Let him in close. And then I want you to pick him up and I want you to throw him down on the ground as hard as you possibly can. Now, this is my dad, Pastor Mark. <laughs> he had just gotten home from doing premarital counseling with a couple, right? Talking about sensitivity and emotional, you know, being emotionally available. And then he's telling his son to WWE body slam fourth graders. Needless to say, I was pretty psyched about this idea. So the next day at school, uh, you know, the whistle blows, we're out at re recess, and I'm just waiting. In fact, I'm giving opportunities. I wore short shorts that day. <laughs> just to show a little skin, just to show a little ankle. I, I can't give it to you too much, you know. And uh, sure enough, he comes in for the bite. 
I let him in. I let him in. I let him in. He came in, and I promise you, I promise you, this is what happened. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where, like, all of a sudden you feel like you could pick up a semi-truck. You know what I mean? It's just like I'm Iron Man in that second. I picked him up, and in this beautiful, glorious moment, my hair waving in the breeze, a bald eagle soaring behind me, the American flag dropping from the sky, I picked him up over my head and threw him to the ground. He looked up at me, and he started to cry. And he ran inside and told on me. And I got called to the principal's office. And now I was scared on a whole nother level, right? <clears throat> because one thing that you kids don't understand about my day was that principals used to be able to spank you. Remember that? Remember that? They used to talk about it. They used to carry the paddle in the back of their pants walking around like, I dare you. I dare you. Do something. I dare you. I just dare you, right? So I got called to uh, Principal Clover's office. I'm sitting out in the hallway. My, my heart is in my throat. And I get called in, Mr. Clover, we'll see you now. Okay. You know, I walk in, I'm sitting down. My, my little buzz cut, you know, is just wilting with fear, you know. He looks at me and says, so I heard you threw someone on the playground today, Mr. Davenport. I said, yeah, 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 sir. You know, this is a Christian school and we have Christian values and Christian morals. I don't think Jesus would be throwing people. And in that moment, I had so many things I wanted to say. But I just said, yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir. And he goes, this would warrant a spanking, Mr. Davenport, as punishment. And then it got real. Like, stuff got real in that moment. And I was like, yeah, yes, sir. And you want to be a man in that moment. You don't want to beg for mercy. You don't want to beg for forgiveness. You don't want to say, no, please, don't spank me. But, but you know, you, you hold it back. And, and then he said something to which I did reply. He actually said, and I'm sure your father would be ashamed of you. you got to weigh your options. Like, should I go for it here? Should I not? Right. And so I actually said to him, I said, well, actually, uh, 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 Mr. Clover, I mean, I feel like i got nothing to lose, right? i got nothing to lose. I'm going to get whipped either way. Uh, Principal Clover, yes. I said, hey, it's actually my dad's idea to, to throw him on the ground. Excuse me? It's actually my father's idea. Okay, well, let's just verify that. Picks up the phone, calls my dad, says, yes, Reverend Davenport. I've got your son in the office here, and uh, he's been throwing children on the playground. <laughs> and he said this was your idea. I just wanted to call and verify, is this, is this true? And Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh. Okay. All right. And he hangs up the phone. He looks at me, and he says something to me. He, I'll, I'll just never forget. He looks at me, and he says, Mr. Davenport, let me ask you something. I said, yeah. He goes, did you get him good? I said, uh, is this a, like if I did, do I get spanked or like, is that your question? I said, excuse me, he goes, did you get him good? And I said, yeah, yeah, I got, I got him good. He goes, all right, then go back to class. That was it. That was it. Now, I never pushed my luck. I wasn't like the next day, you know, like hulking out, chucking kids across the playground. Like, I've got immunity. You know, it wasn't like that. But I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments. You ever have one of those moments? You ever have one of those moments where you walk into a situation expecting the worst, right? You got your heart up in your throat. You're expecting the absolute worst. You feel like you should be in trouble, but by some act of grace, some act of mercy, uh, out of nowhere, you don't get in trouble. And not only that, but it's like you get rewarded 
for something that you've done that, that maybe you thought was bad or, or you're rewarded when you think you're going to be in trouble. This is the story, such is the story, of a man named Mephibosheth. And before we start this, we got to get this, we got to get this off right. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and practice this name. Say Mephibosheth. There you go. It's pretty good. Turn to your other neighbor and say Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. There you go. All right. So, so Mephibosheth's story is found in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. But I want to give you a little bit of context to the life of Mephibosheth. And this is going to help us kind of frame, uh, frame this story today. And it's one of my favorite stories. Um, so let me give you a little bit of context. We all know of David, right? Of the David and Goliath fame. We've heard, we've heard of David. We've, we've read about him. We've talked about him. Obviously, we've learned about him since we were little children. If you're a church kid, you've heard about him. Um, now, David wasn't always the king, right? He wasn't the first king. Before David was the original king of Israel named Saul. Saul had a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan and David became the closest of friends, really good friends. At a very young age, they were very good friends, so much so that, in fact, we, we read in this account of their friendship, right? In 1 Samuel chapter 19, or I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to pick up in verse 1. I want you to jump in here with me. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1 says this. As soon as he, as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. See, pause, what you might not know is David not originally from uh, Israel. He's, he's actually, he lives, I'm sorry, from the palace. He actually lives outside of town, uh, and he was a shepherd. So Jonathan wouldn't let him go back home. Then Jonathan, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went on and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, David and Jonathan made a covenant. Now, as we learned last week, one does not simply make a covenant. One must what? Cut a covenant. The shedding of blood must be involved. And, and we see in the correct reading in the Hebrew language, this, this word made a covenant, this phrase rather made a covenant or to make a covenant is actually this, this combination of words, barath, or I'm sorry, karath barith, karath barith, to cut a covenant. And when, when there's a covenant that's cut, when there's a karath barith, right, there's a shedding of blood. There's, there's animals that are split down the center. There's people who are walking in between the pieces coming together as one. This is an important covenant, but this is a very specific covenant, often referred to, that Jonathan and David are making here, it's often referred to as the king's covenant. Look at the articles that are exchanged from Jonathan to David. First off, Jonathan gave David, David his robe. Now, just looking at this, that might not seem that significant, but it's very uh, significant. It's, it's very rich and deep in symbolism. Jonathan was the next in line to be the king of Israel. And he gave David not just his robe, but he gave David his royal robe. This is of great importance. And he places it on David. The result was that David was clothed with Jonathan. Maybe you could say it this way, that Jonathan clothed himself, I'm sorry, David clothed, clothed himself with Jonathan uh, so to speak, so that he would be identified in oneness, in covenant, with Jonathan. 
This was Jonathan's way of opening up to David all that he had as the heir to the king of Israel. Does this make sense? In other words, he is saying, like, the rights that I have, I now put on you as well, equally. Uh, someday I will be king. You will share in my same type of authority. You will share in, in the wealth that I have. You will share all that I have is also yours. We are one in covenant. Keep in mind, David, just a, a little while prior to this, was out shepherding in the wilderness. And now all of a sudden, he's co-heir to the throne of the king. Next, Jonathan gave David his armor and his weapons. Symbolism is easy to, to see here, easy to read. This basically meant that, that his enemies now were Jonathan's enemies, and Jonathan's enemies were David's enemies, that he would protect and defend, that they would protect and defend each other, not just through life, but even into death, and that they would also protect and defend their relatives and their own, their whole bloodline. This was a big deal. It would also be customary uh, for those entering into the king's coven to prick their wrists, to shed blood, and then to go and shake hands. That's where I actually get the term blood brothers from. And this is the deepest meaning of what it meant to come together as one. The symbolism being that when their blood intermingled, that they were so much one that each other's blood ran through the, others, uh, the other one's veins. See this picture? It's a, big, it's a big deal. It's, it's symbolic. It's solemn. It's binding. It's, it's covenant. Some years later, Jonathan and his father, just to jump ahead, are killed in battle. They die in, in, in a war. And in 2 Samuel chapter 4, you can read that. 2 Samuel chapter 4, we see that Jonathan has a boy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is five, and, and while the others are killed in this battle, uh, one of Jonathan's nurses, right, one of his servants, scoops up Mephibosheth from the battle and takes off running. But something happens. Scripture tells us that as she's running and escaping, she actually trips and falls and drops Mephibosheth. As a result, Mephibosheth is crippled. And scripture says he's lame in both of his feet. And this is the last that we hear from, you know, from Fib for a while. This is the last that we, we see for a while because Mephibosheth goes into hiding. As he grows, he gets older, he actually goes into hiding. He goes underground, if you will. And here's the point. He has every reason to. He has every reason to go into hiding. He has every reason to go underground uh, because when his father Jonathan died and his grandfather Saul, the king, died, a new king was crowned. The king's name was David. Now, 3,000 years ago, things were a little bit different. If a bloodline ended um, with, with, you know, say there's not a, a male to assume the throne, or if there's a new monarch who takes the throne, a new king, what would happen is this new monarch, 3,000 years ago, this new monarch was well within his rights to eliminate and eradicate the entire rest of the bloodline from the previous king. And... Keep this in mind, this is what Mephibosheth is terrified about. And, and he should be. It was common practice. This is what happened. They didn't want anybody competing for the, the, the throne. They didn't want anybody competing to be the king, so they would eradicate, eliminate every opportunity that could be there to take the throne away. So this is what Mephibosheth believed would happen. And add to that that Saul, after a while, began to hate David and tried to kill him on many accounts. So now, 
The context is in place and the stage is set. We're all on the same page. Years have passed in Israel. Israel's thriving. And then we pick up in the book of Samuel where King David has this day where he's reminiscing and he thinks back to his beloved friend Jonathan and he thinks back to this covenant that he made with Jonathan. And he says in 2 Samuel 9, he says it like this, Is there anyone left in Saul's house that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Is there anyone left in Saul's house, in the king's house? Is there anyone left in the bloodline? Not so that I can eradicate them, not so that I can kill them off, but is there anyone left for Jonathan's sake? One of his servants come to him, comes to him and says, Yes, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's a cripple. And he lives in Lodabar, just so you know. Lodabar actually means wasteland. It means the middle of nowhere. Nothing grows there. Nothing good comes from there. Lodabar, you go there to die. You go there to escape because people won't chase you into Lodabar. And none of that matters to David because he, David orders his men to go to Mephibosheth to get him, to bring him to him. Now, just for a moment, can you imagine being Mephibosheth? You have, you have been carried out of a battle that took the life of your father, the, the prince, and took the life of your grandfather, the king. And you're terrified of this new king because he wants to kill you, or so you think. So you are crippled, living in Lodabar, living in the wasteland, all alone, just trying to manage, just trying to, to survive, living in fear every day, scared that you're going to die. Then one day you hear the sound of hoofbeats. They get louder and louder. This wouldn't have been very common because nobody comes to Lodabar. And you look over this vast wasteland, over this desert, and you see the king's seal. You see the king's flags being carried by troops, and they're, they're running towards you. They're galloping towards you. It's getting louder and louder. And, and what are you to do? You can't get up and run. You're crippled. You, you can't go and hide. They know where you live. They're actually calling for you by name. In Mephibosheth's mind, this was it. He knew it. He was going to die. Now, let's pick up in verse 9, in verse 6 of chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. He thinks he's going to die. And David said, Mephibosheth. Now, notice the, the, uh, the notation here. There's an exclamation point. David is excited, the king. He says, Mephibosheth. Hey, man, it's you. Fib. Meph. Fib, right? <laughs> Good to see you, man. What's, what's going on, right? He's like, Mephibosheth. And he answered, behold, this is Mephibosheth speaking. Now he says, I'm your servant, which is to say, like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm beneath you. And David said to him, do not fear. Don't fear. For I will show you great kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. Isn't that amazing? And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? 
Verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. He will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. That's a lot of people. And Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord, the king commanded his servants, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table. Notice what it says, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, where he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both feet. King David not only remembered his covenant that he made with Jonathan, but he upheld it. He sought out. Notice that important piece of the story. He sought out somebody that he could uphold this covenant with. Not only did he, did he, did he call Mephibosheth to him, but he said, don't fear, I want to show you kindness. And not only did he, he wasn't like, listen, here's a brand new chariot, man. Go. Here's some servants. No, he, he literally let him eat at his table. Now, here's the significance of this. For all intents and purposes here, David made Mephibosheth his son. The only people that were allowed to sit and eat at the king's table in this portion of scripture that we read in this time were high dignitaries and family members. He regarded him as blood. He regarded him as family. He treated him like his own blood because of the covenant that he had made with Jonathan. Now, notice Fib's reaction to this, right? What's he say? He says, why should you show such regard for a dead dog such as I? It's like, what? I'm lost. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm happy about it. <laughs> but like, why? What? Why would you even care? See, all, this year, all these years, get this now. All these years, Mephibosheth had this image of himself, that he was worthless, that he had no value, that nobody would want him, that nobody would care about him, that no one would accept him. In fact, that he was better off dead, when in all reality, what Mephibosheth didn't know was that there had been a covenant made long before he was even born that protected him, accepted him, loved him, and had already made a way for him. You see this? You see the importance of that? Long before Mephibosheth was even born, a covenant had been made with his father that protected him and loved him. It wasn't that Mephibosheth had to even had to make a new covenant with this king. He just had to show up and accept the terms that were made for him. He just had to show up and accept the terms that had previously been constructed for him. All he had to do was get up and leave Lodabar. Have a face-to-face -face with the king. Hmm. That's it. It took the king's army to drive him out. It took the king's army pursuing him, convincing him to come, convincing him to, that there was protection. But when he came and stood before the king, he experienced more love, more kindness, 
and more acceptance than he could have ever even believed was possible. Do you see the picture that scripture is painting for us today here? Do you, do you see what scripture is telling us? It's amazing to read the Old Testament. I love it. But what you, one thing you have to understand about the Old Testament is that it is always painting a picture for things to come. The Old Testament is, is just one large uh, shadowing of what's to come. Foreshadowing. It's always pushing Jesus through. The gospel through. Here's how it applies for us today. In just one way. Maybe for years, you have felt that you were no good. You with me? Maybe for years, you, 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 you have even felt that maybe you were worthless. I know I'm speaking to some of you today. Or maybe some people in your family. You, you, you feel like you're worthless. You know they feel like they're worthless. For years now, maybe you have felt that no one would accept you. That no one could accept you. Surely, if anybody even knew the things about you that you had been a part of, the places you, you had been, the things you had done, there's no way that they could accept you for who you are. But what I want you to know that today, I want you to know that today, long before you were even born, there was a covenant cut for you. Do you hear me? Long before you were even born, a covenant has been cut for you. And it was cut from God the Father with his son, Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't have a lot to do with you. All you got to do is show up, have a face-to-face -face with the king, and accept the terms and agreement. Too many of you have been living in the wasteland. Too many of you have been living in, in, in the wild country. Today it's time to get up and leave Lodabar. Today it's time to, to surrender to the king that has been chasing you for your whole life. Today you have to understand that if you stay in the wilderness, listen to me now, because I know some of you are there. If you stay in that place of wilderness, it's only going to bring you more stress. It's only going to bring you more hurt. You've been there for too long, don't you know? It's going to bring you more pain. It's going to bring you more hurt. That's all that the wilderness can produce. That's all that this, this wasteland rather can produce. Lodabar only brings pain. That's it. And you were not created to live in Lodabar. You were created to sit at the king's table. Did you hear me? You were not created to, to live out your days in the wasteland of Lodabar. You were created to live in the palace. You were created to sit at the king's table. You were created to feast with the king. Why? Based on you? No! has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the covenant that was made over you. It has everything to do with the Father who made the covenant and his love for you. Just like Mephibosheth's father made this covenant with David, God made a covenant with Jesus Christ. And it's a covenant that has been cut in love. It's a covenant that has been cut with blood. It's not based on you. It's based on your father's love for you. And you say, well, you don't understand what I've done. You don't understand where I've been. I don't, you just don't get it. I hear you up there. You're yelling. You're doing your thing. But you don't get it. God couldn't even accept me. What I want you to know is God's already accepted you. He's just waiting for you to realize it. He's just waiting for you to surrender to him. Did you hear the hoofbeats? Did you hear the, the horses galloping up to you? And come follow me. You're not made for here. You're made for there. 
For some of you this morning, you are Mephibosheth in the wasteland. For others of us today, we are Mephibosheth who has found the king. Amen? You were not meant for there. You were meant for here. If I, if I could have a conversation with Mephibosheth today, if I could ask him one thing. Mephibosheth, what's the one thing you regret in your life? Do you know what I think Mephibosheth would say? I think he would say this. I wish I would have come to the king sooner. I wasted years of my life in the wilderness, in the wasteland. I wish I would have come to the king sooner. Why did I wait so long? What did I have to fear? Because in the king's presence, there is nothing but goodness and kindness and mercy and love and forgiveness and redemption. In the wasteland, there's nothing in Lodabar. There's nothing but pain and hurt and anxiety. And I was sacrificing kindness for anxiety. I was sacrificing grace for pain. I was wanting these things when those things were already there for me. All I had to do was get up and leave Lodabar. This morning, it's time for some of you to get up. And this is so difficult because we are so crippled in so many ways, aren't we? Maybe somebody has dropped you. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been broken. Maybe you've been burned by religion or burned by a church or, or, or burned by some person. I don't, I don't know your story. We're all crippled in some regard somewhere along the way, aren't we? But despite our disabilities, the king has been pursuing you and he's calling out your name. Thank you for listening to this message from part two of our series, Our Covenant God at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us where you can invest in life change through giving or find more impactful sermon audio just like this.